Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that researchers have discovered a citrus-scented pheromone in male goat hair that is a primary stimulator of the female goat's ovulation and reproductive system. Specifically, it's called 4-ethyl-octanol, which turns into that well-known chemical responsible for goaty smells. According to this new research, since goats and humans have many similarities, there could be a correlation to male pheromone smells as well. Because of that, the new Bulletproof Oh Dick Goat Hair should be on shelves soon. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Gottfried, MD, who has been on the show before. Dr. Sarah is a friend, and she's also a Harvard-educated physician, a speaker, a yoga teacher, a wife, a mom, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Hormone Cure. She's also a board-certified gynecologist and has a new online program called Mission Ignition, The Energy Cure. And I love talking with her because she's like a girl biohacker. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Sarah, welcome to the show. 
I've invited you on today specifically because you've got a new book coming out. And anytime, you know, one of my friends and fellow biohackers is launching a new book, it's always cool to talk about it because you've spent a lot of time writing and doing research about something that hasn't been written about before. At least that's what we hope. So <laughs> tell me about the new book. What, what's in it? What's new? Yeah, well, so this is the new book. I'm going to show it for those who are watching the video. It's The Hormone Cure. I added almost 50 pages of new content, you know, on top of the hardcover that I released last year. And I just took the top questions that women were asking me about their hormones. You know, what do I do preconception? Actually, I send them to your book for that one, but I've got <laughs> a quick protocol for them. And what do I do postpartum? What do I do during pregnancy? What do I do if I'm a breast cancer survivor? What do I do if nothing I try after the age of 35, 40 works in terms of getting lean, which I hope we'll talk about today? What do I do if I'm in menopause? Do the same protocols apply? So that's that's the idea. I took the top questions and you know, women deserve to have their questions answered. So I, I've answered them with this new book. So Sarah, um, you are on sabbatical from seeing patients because after what you just said, you probably just generated like a thousand people wanted to see you. <laughs> um, I, I would like to offer, if you're interested in someone who knows a thing or two about hormones, particularly around pregnancy, my wife, Dr. Lana at betterbabybook.com is taking patients. Uh, so people are available. You guys have slightly different sets of expertise, um, but they are definitely related. So um, that's available. But uh, I think people should go to your website because, well, your website's awesome and your book is awesome. So. Thank you, sir. Now, you've got uh, some other things in there. You've got breast cancer. You've got like a bunch of, of women-focused things. Is there an age range for women who should read this book? Definitely. It's 18 to 108. <laughs> oh, my 109-year-old great-grandmother is really bummed right now. Oh, okay. no, no, no. Okay, so let me, <laughs> let, me, let me raise the upper limit. No, the idea here is, oh my gosh, we've got to manage our hormones through yes. the entire life cycle, whether you're male or female. And I've got lots of gems for the guys today to do. You know, it's it's so important to realize that your hormones drive what you're interested in. They're not the be all end all. They're you know, I don't want to be overly reductionistic, but it's really important to realize, oh my gosh, they are controlling so much in your body. You know, fat storage, how happy you are, how stressed out and crazy pants you are, your mood, depression, there's so much that's controlled by it. If you are a guy and you're listening to this going, gee, maybe I should fast forward because this is going to be about like gynecology <laughs> stuff. Understanding your partner's hormone cycles is kind of a primary skill for a guy because that way you can just be like, oh, this is like that week and I should like schedule my business trip for that week uh, or whatever else. But it just having a basic understanding there helps me understand uh, with Lana, like normal monthly fluctuations in behavior and attention and even intelligence. Um, there's totally. some interesting things around IQ and ovulation that, that come out. So I, I actually think it's worth it for guys in relationships to just understand a little bit about this. Cause if you can tweak it and you can help tweak it, your life as a guy will be easier too. And your partner will be happier, which means you'll be happier and vice versa. Such a good point. You know, I, I think I've told you before that my husband is making an app for the guys where he thinks it's so important to be tracking your woman's menstrual cycle. And just as you described, okay, green light for going on a business trip because you're one week before a period or is ovulation, you might get some if you play your cards right. So yeah, or you might I, want to run away so you don't accidentally have another baby, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depends on how many kids you have. But right. this, this is such an important point. And I think, you know, guys are um, 
simpler in many ways when it comes to hormones. The conversation is still really rich and fun, but it's it's important to realize that women are complicated. We have, you know, when you're cycling, you have a different level of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone on a daily basis. And so the more that you can leverage that, as you're describing, you're the ultimate leverager, Dave Asprey. And, you know, get that, be masterful about it, be skillful, have it work to your advantage. It's going to be a win-win for everybody. Uh, I love how you're, you're, you're thinking about that. One of the things missing in the whole biohacking community, even in paleo, you know, I, I've had a, a series of women on the show lately to talk about women and high fat diets in general, not just the Bulletproof diet. And, you know, it, it goes from one extreme where we have, you know, Olympic winners who literally like shut down their cycle for seven or eight months using nutrition because like, oh, I know my cycle makes my performance fluctuate and I don't really care about fluctuating. I care about kicking ass all the way to, you know, how do I do the anti-aging thing after 40? And there needs to be more books written about this. A lot of the studies out there are specific to men. So intermittent fasting, I, I wrote a post, one we've talked about on email a while back about, hey, uh, when I like when women do intermittent fasting for longer periods of time, they lose their sleep, they get adrenal fatigue, but you add protein back in in the morning and it's a different effect, or you add more carbs and it's a different effect. So I, I would love to see, you know, even rat studies were like, oh, the girl mice are different than the man mice, although mice are not rats. Yeah, we all get that for people listening. Um, why, why don't women lose weight on, uh, on a typical diet that works? You know, I look great. My, my man boobs are a little small, but all right. <laughs> so what what's the deal here? Like, like, what did you come up with in your book? Yeah, you know, this is the million dollar question. I, I'm super curious about this because I similarly found in my practice, I've seen about 20,000 women, about you know, 5,000 men in the past 20 years. And what I found, especially with the paleo revolution of the past five to 10 years, is that women don't fare as well. As, especially after a certain age, like 35 yeah. to 40, that's sort of the transition where hormones start to fall off a cliff. You know, for women between 35 and 40, that's when progesterone drops, you start to run out of ripe eggs, you can't be soothed as well, you have growth hormone drop, and there's also an issue with your, you know, for a lot of women, their thyroid starts to get wonky. They have issues with reverse T3, which I think is a key player when you go too low carb as a female of a certain age. So those are some of the issues that I see. And, um, you know, why is this? I'm, I'm asking all of the thought leaders this very question because I, I'm not finding a great answer in the literature. But I can tell you from experience that I'm seeing something similar. You know, for the women who go on paleo, there's even a study done by Terry Walls. She yeah. put folks on the Walls protocol. And once women hit a BMI of 23, a body mass index of 23, they don't lose weight on paleo anymore. So it's, it's curious to me. I think it has to do with a carb threshold that's particular to women of a certain age. And what I'd love to talk about with you, Dave, is a bit about if you look at the low carb movement, like where is it not a good idea? You know, where is it potentially harmful or, you know, might cause issues with sleeping or work against you as you try to heal adrenal dysregulation? So what do you think about that? Should we talk yeah, about low carb? Let's zoom in on it. And it's really important when we talk about low carb, it's just like low fat or high protein or whatever else. High soy protein, especially hydrolyzed soy, is totally different than high egg, is totally different than high collagen. 
like, like so just to talk about a protein or a fat or a carb, the, the difference between a low carb diet and a low sugar diet is you can have a high carb, low sugar diet. And so one of my goals in Bulletproof is to help people understand that it's too simplistic to say carbs, protein, fat. It's actually almost meaningless. It's slightly less meaningless than saying calories, which is just not a great way to measure nutrition. But even on top of those things, okay, now you got to the right kind of, you got, okay, you're on collagen protein, but where did it come from? And what are the dye and tripeptide forms? Are you kidding me? Like you go to McDonald's and say, I'd like to order an order of side of dipeptides. You don't, but <laughs> <laughs> you want to understand what are the molecular and biological and gut biomechanisms of these things. And when you when you get down to that level, quality becomes the most important thing you look at after you get your macronutrient ratios right, maybe even before you look at other things. So when we talk amen. about... Amen. <laughs> okay. I just want to say You're amen great. right there. And you asked about intermittent fasting. I just yeah. want to say I am loving your collagen, man. I am oh, having... I'm having my bulletproof coffee with my MCT oil and my collagen in the morning, and I am so happy. I think you're onto something with that particular formula. I, I designed it using a whole bunch of different things, including a lot of serendipity and, and some luck and some biochemistry. But a new study just came out looking at something I've hypothesized for the past two years about what bulletproof coffee does to your butt biome. To your butt, <laughs> your to gut biome. <laughs> your butt biome has serious problems, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> my butt biome. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know. <laughs> I can't believe I said that on the air. All right, your after that biome. at the goat pheromones, man. I'm ovulating over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so twittering that. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that's going on there is uh, a shifting of the bacteria in your gut because the phenols feed the phenol, which is basically the antioxidants in the coffee, at least one of the antioxidants, it feeds a kind of bacteria in your gut that thin people have more of and fat people have left, less of. When you look at what the brain octane oil does specifically is it puts a stress on the bacterial population. So you're like, wait a minute, this fat puts a stress on what's happening inside the gut. So all the bacteria are like, hey, I don't really like that. But then you feed the ones you want. So in very rapid order, you're basically suppressing fat people bacteria and you're increasing thin people bacteria by feeding the ones you wanted. So I, I don't know if it's soon enough to say coffee is a probiotic, but I mm. can tell you with absolute certainty that phenols in foods, there are phenols in lots of foods like blueberries and wine and coffee and chocolate, but phenols and funny enough on the walls protocol, you know, Terry's been a guest on the show a couple of times, Terry walls who cured her MS using a high-colored food diet. What do you think makes vegetables colorful? Sarah, you know, it's phenols, right? Right. Okay, so we've got a lot of polyphenols in coffee and whatever else. So when you take brain octane and you mix it with your red bell peppers, when you mix, mix it with your hot chocolate, when you mix it with whatever it is, you're basically feeding the good biome and you're maybe making life a little tougher on the other stuff in your gut. You still need those things. Those are lactobacilli. But if you're, you know, freebasing yogurt, to try and change your gut biome. <laughs> Maybe that's not what you wanted to do. I, I can tell you yogurt and a lot of the so-called good bacteria, they cause brain fog in a substantial number of people, including women over 40 and under 40. Uh, yes. And I've written about that and I tested it just last week. I had two days of being a total zombie after I took like a very well-respected probiotic formula, uh, one that worked great for a family member, by the way. So it's like, how do you know? Well, you have to be a biohacker and measure. You have to measure, you have to, you know, pay attention to this individual 
variation that we see person to person. I think that's such a crucial piece. And I love this idea. I wrote this down, feed the bacteria you want. It reminds me a bit of that line, love the one you're with. Like, I think yeah. it's really important. That's like our new theme song, I think, Dave, for 2014 is we want to feed the bacteria that we want. That's yeah. that's like the next 10 years of medicine. It seems like it. Um, do you cover resistant starch? I'm just not remembering. I, I have a copy of the hormone cure floating around here, but I, I read a lot. Do you talk about like, basically the types of fiber that feed bacteria as well? You know, I don't talk a ton about the different types of fiber. I'd love to get into it now in the book. But, you know, I, I feel like fiber is the unsung hero of hormone balance, you know, especially for the global experience that we're all having of estrogen dominance and estrogen pressure from 700 known xenoestrogens. I, I think, you know, the I think of the fiber as being the way that we really upgrade the liver. So that phase one detox where you're generating the garbage and then the phase two detox where you're picking up the garbage, the garbage collection, fiber really helps you with that. I think it's so crucial that women get, you know, around 35 to 40 grams a day, guys get 40 to 45 grams a day. But do you want to say something specific about fiber and maybe prebiotics? Well, there's a, a bunch of different prebiotics you can take and there are different types of fiber. And lately, the reason I was thinking about this is because the latest rage in a lot of the paleo discussions, uh, in fact, when I had uh, uh, Mark from Marcus Daily Apple on, we talked about this a little bit and he's sort of saying, well, I, I wish I'd paid more attention to resistant starch, which is one type of, of, call it prebiotic. The problem is that different fibers irritate <laughs> the gut differently. So taking you know wheat bran, which is what I took as a kid, which didn't benefit me at all and probably caused more harm than good, is different than psyllium husk, which is also pretty rough on the gut, but is you know, widely touted in herbalist and like raw circles, um, all the way to things like you know resistant cornstarch, which is a manufactured product that appears to work pretty well in some people, but not others. So it, it feels like that's part of the equation. Uh, but what what do you talk about in the book? Um, you know, you, you're mentioning now some prebiotics, but what do you talk about specifically when women are trying to lose? Wait. Um, okay, so you know about this twenty-three BMI thing. What do you tell them to do then? Do they eat more fiber? Do they eat more starch? Do they eat more? Well, I don't know carrots. <laughs> what, what's the magic <laughs> food here? So, how to answer this question? I mean, one strategy is to do some genetic testing and just see what some of your tendencies are, like with the PPARG gene, and you know what's happening with your dance with fat. You know, do you respond better to MUFAs? How do you respond to PUFAs? How do you respond to saturated fat? So I agree with you that there's this macronutrient conversation about carbs, protein, fat, and then there's also drilling it down much further, which I love you that you do in your infographic for the Bulletproof Diet. So I would say, you know, the piece that I've been really working with right now is the carbs, because I see so many women who are at a plateau, you know, they're pushing their, their total percentage of um, calories, if you still calculate that, down to about 10, 15% with their carbohydrates. And I just see such a backlash from it, from the body. And so I, I wanted to talk about that today. You know, like, why is it that women are hitting this plateau, especially over 35, 40? What's going on? And I've got a few theories. So I'm going to, I'm going to float this pie by you. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a little mnemonic, you know, this is how I survived medical school, Oedipus. My daughter's reading To Kill a Mockingbird, so it's kind of in honor of Atticus. So Atticus, A-T-A-P-I-S. 
<laughs> my so my four year old would be here. laughing right now. <laughs> you you like that? Okay, so these are the folks who really have to have some caution around pushing the carb envelope too low. So adipus A is athletes, T is mm -hmm. thyroid, P is three P's actually preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. We can go into more detail there. And uh, the other A was adrenal dysregulation. So it's A-T-A-P-I-S, athletes, thyroid, adrenal dysregulation, preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, insomnia, and then stress, like really yeah. high perceived stress. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I, I'm not sure that I like the acronym. We need to put like Scrabble and rearrange <laughs> it to something that sounds cooler than Adipus because I can't okay. spell it. But no, I'm just kind of joking. Uh, <laughs> those are the cases when I'm working with, uh, with coaching clients for performance where I'm like, well, here's a simple experiment, have more carbs, but it's not just more carbs because that means more like apple turnovers. Like some of these people who are talking about, you know, eat carbs, like a, you know, like an orangutan or something. Um, what we're talking about here is we're talking about eating carbs that don't contain a, a lot of the carb defense systems that plants put in place to keep from getting eaten. So I recommend white rice and sweet potatoes. And if you're not one of those people who has problems with normal potatoes, maybe the inside of a normal potato, but not the skin. And for the most part, sticking with clean forms of starch versus, say, a ton of fructose is, uh, is a good idea. And then you play with it, but don't eat it for breakfast. Um, who was it who was just on the show who said uh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day to not screw up? Uh, but if you're having sugar and carbs in the morning, it's probably not going to benefit you. So if you're going to do it, have it at dinner or maybe in the afternoon, but to start out the day, especially with fructose or even with a lot of starch, it just sets you up for that hypoglycemic thing. And if you're looking at your body weight, it's okay to not have carbs in the morning. Like <laughs> you're not going to die. And I think that can build resilience even in people on the adipose thing, but then <laughs> nighttime comes and you're like, okay, like I'm going to have, I'm going to have me some rice, you know, <laughs> like it's okay. You can, you know, you can just kind of go for the, the starch and, and enjoy it. And even if you get a little bit of a blood sugar crash, you'll be asleep anyway. And you can use the, the honey sleep trick that I, uh, I talk about on the Bulletproof site about um, taking maybe a couple teaspoons, maybe a tablespoon of raw honey long after meal, but right before bed to get your blood glucose up and stable for six or eight hours. So if you find you wake up at night with low blood sugar, then you need to hack that. And sometimes collagen before sleep does it. And sometimes you can do it with the, uh, uh, with the honey trick. I don't know that you want to mix the two though. So I love that. And, you know, I think let's back up a step because I want to talk a bit about like how to measure your response to these things, especially if you don't want to, you know, spend a grand or more on some genetic testing. Right. So the, you know, for me, in this particular matrix of my female body, if I have white rice or the inside of a potato, my blood sugar is going to be like 130 fasting in the morning. So I just don't respond wow. well to that. Wow. I'm going to have to try your collagen before I go to bed and just see what happens. But yeah. I agree with you that you don't want to, you know, march forward first thing in the morning toward the fructose. You know, we know that our food has really changed over time. The food that my great grandmother had, you know, an apple back in her day had a lot less fructose than an apple today. And so we want to be really careful. You know, what I recommend for women who are trying to lose weight is to keep your fructose less than 20 grams a day. And that's not very much. Oh, you're that's... at 20. I'm at 25. Okay. So like you're 25. Okay. Yeah, well... we, we, we totally agree on that sort of thing. Uh, like 
too much fructose is just bad for you. What are the reasons that you believe it's bad? I mean, I, I have my theories, but let's see if they match. Yeah, well, this is this is like, you know, pure Gary Taubes, just like this <laughs> idea that, um, you know, what happens is you're turning on the fat storage in your liver with fructose. And I think that we have been hammering our poor bodies with fructose for way too mm -hmm. long. And I, I think it definitely accounts for some of the, you know, this epidemic that we've seen with the obesity problem in the U.S., that it's tripled in the past 50 years, you know, food, the exercise situation, the calories that we're eating, they don't account for the obesity epidemic. So we have to look beyond it. I think fructose is part of the story. I also think that endocrine disruptors are a major player when it comes to leptin resistance, insulin resistance, these, these hormone resistances that we're seeing. Well, let's talk some more about endocrine disruptors. Uh, you talk about top foods that hijack any woman's hormones. Are those foods containing endocrine disruptors or are these other sources like cosmetics or something? Like what, what, are, what do you think about when you think about hormone disruption? Well, I think of a lot of different things. I mean, females, we know from quite rigorous data that women are more vulnerable to hormone disruption than men. And, you know, even as recent as a year ago, there was a Harvard study looking at phthalate exposure and women with the highest phthalate exposure had more problems getting pregnant. They also had more endometriosis. They had lesser egg quality based on some studies that were done with IVF. And so the way I think about endocrine disruptors, I mean, I, I think as broadly as possible, because I feel like we are exposed to toxins on a daily basis and detoxification is no longer a luxury. It's something that we all need to take on. So when it comes to foods, I think of those as endocrine disruptors as well, you know, but I, I think the, the persistent organic pollutants are where we have the best data. But I think it extends far beyond just the pops. Are you concerned about things like Roundup, uh, the Absolutely. organophosphate weed killer that is just being used by millions of gallons? Okay, what does that do to hormone? So it's interesting, you know, this is another place where the data is not as robust as I would like it to be. You know, I wish we had randomized trials of animals on Roundup versus not and, you know, tracked for a really long time. I wish we had some human data, but I think the data is at a point where you don't want to do randomized trials in humans with Roundup. <laughs> but the studies that have been done, you know, there was a study from France looking at the effect of... Um, I believe it was in rodents, and they found that female rodents became more male. Basically, it raised testosterone levels, it lowered estradiol levels, and then the male rats became more female. It raised their estradiol levels and lowered their testosterone levels. So there's this reversal in sex hormones that I think is really important to pay attention to. We also know that farm workers who are exposed to Roundup have higher rates of miscarriage, they have more issues with infertility. And I think we have enough of a consensus to say, oh my gosh, don't eat GMO food. Yeah, it's, it's frightening because you get the direct hormone effects and you also get the effects on the soil biome. And that soil biome is what affects your gut biome. So if you think you can separate your body- I like how you carefully said it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Was I careful enough? <laughs> I still like butt guyome. I'm going to use that somewhere. <laughs> I can't believe that, that that was the best Freudian slip ever. I don't know if it was Freudian. It was just a slip. But anyway, <laughs> if it was Freudian, I have deeper issues. So, 
so we, we tend to agree GMOs are a bad idea. And it, there's a direct problem with Roundup residue that's measurable on, say, GMO corn. But on top of that, the biome there is wrong. And it also does this thing. Corn, almost all of it, like 98% of it in the field, grows mold on it. The species Fusarium is the problem in corn, first and foremost. There are other ones. And Fusarium makes endocrine-disrupting mycotoxins that are thousands of times stronger than normal female estrogen. So if that happens and the presence of Roundup stresses the fungus, which makes it make even more of its toxins, you're basically getting something that ought not to be food. Like I don't give my dogs GMO corn. Or if I had chickens, I wouldn't give it to them either, but I don't have any chickens. Um, I will. Give me time. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think there's, when it comes to mycotoxins, I think this is a fascinating conversation. You and I have talked about coffee and mycotoxins. I think that's one of the reasons why cortisol levels go up in some of the older studies that we have on coffee. And you and I still need to do that study where we yeah. look at Bulletproof and drink, you know, compare it to some toxic coffee that has mycotoxins I, and look at our cortisol levels. I can't wait to do that, Sarah, because <laughs> you know, I, I've done a study. When I want to actually do a confirming study before I release it, but there's some people saying, yeah, there's no difference. So I'm probably going to release this study um, before I, I would prefer to. But it, it looks at just executive function, cognitive function on my coffee versus a selection of other coffees. And oh my goodness, the difference is so big. It's That study is the basis for a lot of the claims that I, I can legally make about you know coffee for human performance. Like, no, <laughs> it's real. But getting lab data, I mean, I, I would be interested in cortisol as well as other inflammatory things because I suspect we'd find that some inflammatory markers go down. The problem is that as a coffee company, I'm not allowed to talk about what a food does to inflammation because then mm. the food would become a drug and we'd have to go through like a million or sorry, a hundred million dollars of like clinical trials on coffee. So if coffee well, has- Well, I can talk about it. So we'll have to do true. the study. We'll look at, <laughs> you know, what are your favorite inflammatory markers? You want to look at high sensitivity C-reactive protein, homocysteine. What else would you like to look at? The different- IGF-6. Different or, cytokines, right? Exactly. The, the so IL-6. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd actually want to look, there's, there's two of them that, that we know that different oils from coffee have an effect on from some studies. So I, I would want to recheck those studies uh, and just look at, okay, like the studies believe it does that. So does it do that? Um, but maybe that, be, that could be stacking the deck because there's already science about it. It's just science that if I link to it, then I'm, you know, I'm making claims. So anyone who wants to can search for coffee inflammation and find, wow, there's some huge impacts here. And it turns out how you process the beans, how you roast them, and then even how you brew matters. So I don't want to turn this into a coffee thing. Everyone who listens to sort of this, let's pick your brain. Sorry, going off on coffee. Um, well, it's, but it's, you know, we're talking about some of these key hormones that really yeah. affect women. And, it, you know, I want everyone to listen to this particular piece, because if you're a woman in your 20s, or you're a guy in your 20s, or your 30s, I don't want you to fall down a hormonal flight of stairs. And when you actually manage these hormones that we're talking about, like cortisol and what kind of coffee you drink, it's going to help you not fall down the, that hormonal flight of stairs. It's really important. So, you know, I'm a big fan of building out a dashboard. To be honest, Dave, I'm going to, I'm going to go like totally transparent here. I don't like the term biohack. I feel like it is so masculine. I need like a more feminine term. Oh, we, we have one. Biohackette. It totally works. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we're going to dig a little deeper before the end of the show. <laughs> but I, I think this piece is so important of, you know, what are the metrics that you need to be watching? So if you're trying to get more lean or if you're, 
you know, trying to get along better with your spouse or, you know, get your woman to have more sex with you. Like these are really important metrics to be tracking. What do you think? I could not agree more. And the whole idea of of biohacking, it's funny. There are a, a bunch of women who have embraced it because it's empowering. And they're like, okay, I'm in charge. The younger you get, the easier it is because any popular media, like half the time, you know, the hacker is the girl. Although if you go to a computer science program, it's still 80% males. Uh, and I don't know what, why that is. Um, probably incidents of Asperger's <laughs> in men versus women. But I say that as a guy who studied computer science, by the way. Uh, so I was an engineer, Dave. But there's there's like a slight Rwanda quality to, to the term biohacker. And that's, that's the part like... I, what does there's that like mean? a there's like a hacking quality to it that it oh, feels Rwanda. a little violent. Yeah, it, it it's uh, it's a tough thing. Like if you want to talk about like hack your skin, like well that's what I go to a surgeon for, right? I hear you there. It, it's just a question of like co opting. You're an engineer, so you know what a hacker does. And yeah. It, but yeah, I, I get it. I, I couldn't find a better one. And the idea of like I'm a health enthusiast is so not feminine or masculine. It's just boring. <laughs> Like I'm a wellness True. person, like, look at me, you know, and Mr. Rogers is like my idol. It just doesn't work. So how do we, you know, how do we tell people that? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm taking charge. And honestly, I don't care if I'm not supposed to, cause that's what a hacker does. And I worked in computer security for half my career. So like, <laughs> that's where I come from. But uh, if you come up with a better word for, for girl hackers, uh, girl biohackers, well, let's, um, cr- let's crowdsource it. So right. if you're listening, give us some comments, give us some ideas sure. on a more feminine term for biohacker, please. It would help move the cause, yeah. empower more women. We, we can have like meetups between biohackers and like biohack exactly. girls or whatever. Yeah. All right. I like this, Dr. Sarah. So let's talk about women's brains since we're talking about biohacking. Cool. cool. All right. What do hormones do to the brain? Like kind of give people in their cars that run down from your neurohormonal dashboard? What are the, you know, what are the top five the hormones that are going to yeah. make you crazy or make you calm? Yeah. Yeah. So I think about this, you know, I, I'm an engineer, so I think of this in terms of modules, right? I think of the female brain according to age and there's the pre-puberty, there's the pubertal age, there's the reproductive years, then you know, everything goes crazy in perimenopause, which is puberty in reverse. And then there's menopause where you have just kind of a direct current instead of a alternating current. So I think about it in those modules and I imagine, you know, it's the reproductive years and maybe perimenopause that's of most interest to our listeners today. Although I have to tell you, I've got a 14 year old daughter and I am like, you know, we got perimenopause right up next to <laughs> puberty and she's, got estrogen just like firing her brain like crazy and oxytocin. All she wants to do is go to the mall with her girlfriends. And all I want to do is wear my yoga pants. And I can't even remember if I brushed my hair today. So (laughs) So does she listen to your podcasts? You know, she, okay. (laughs) Let me tell you, she listened to Abel James yesterday because she, she feels like he looks like Ryan Reynolds. So that was her reason for listening. So I'm going to have to get an angle. Maybe you can help me with this to make her listen to my podcast with you, Dave. So more on that, more will be revealed. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to the brain, a couple of things that I think are important, especially during the reproductive years and also perimenopause and menopause, women have half the serotonin that men have. And so this is a really key point because serotonin is a gatekeeper. It's not like all these happy brain chemicals like, you know, BDNF and 
dopamine, it's not like these are all created equal. Serotonin is like a really important gatekeeper. So we have half what men have, about 52%. I think it's part of the reason why we run into more problems around restricting carbohydrates. And we need to be really wise and smart about how we are biohacking our food and you know designing that food plan each day so that we are topping off the tank with serotonin and not with the latest antidepressant because, oh, by the way, those are linked to a higher risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer that was shown in 2011. So serotonin is a really important piece. You want to be mindful of that. And estrogen, of course, is involved in the control of serotonin. So the way that we move serotonin around, the way that, you know, there's kind of a threesome here. I always have the sexual, you know, innuendos when I'm around <laughs> you. I don't know why these come out of my mouth, but there's a threesome and it's, you know, serotonin and estrogen and oxytocin. Like you want all three of those really working on your team and not working against you. GABA's in there too, and allopregnanolone, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a threesome threesome for now. Okay, got it. So those are important. I mean, the the other one that's really important for the female brain through reproductive years and also perimenopause is progesterone. Also important in menopause. And progesterone is also, it's kind of like fiber. It's like the poor relation that nobody pays attention to. And we've got a lot of fascinating data on progesterone, especially, you know, we know that when you have low progesterone, this is chapter five of my book, what happens is you're more likely to have heavy periods. They may come closer together. And the answer is not to go on the birth control pill. Believe me, that is not the answer. That shrinks your clitoris by 20%. It robs you of testosterone, and that is a serious problem. We got to talk about uh, testosterone too. Yeah, so for guys, do you see why you might want to know about this? I, I have for the past <laughs> 20 years, um, every woman that I've dated or whatever else, I'm like, get off the pill. And they're like, you want to get me pregnant? I'm like, no, I don't. Trust me on that. I just want you like healthy and normal. Um, do you talk about pheromones in the birth control pill in your book at all? Do you mention that study? You know, I, I, I should. I don't talk about it in the book. We'll have to, maybe we could uh, link to it with with our podcast. Okay, we'll link to it. The, the really short version of that for guys and women to understand is that if you're on the pill, it changes your smell receptors so that, that your partner's pheromones smell good to you. When you go off the pill, when you decide to have kids, you may be sexually unattracted to your partner because their pheromones smell different to you now. And that's a bad thing. Like, you know, you just maybe got married, <laughs> like you're going off to start a family. You're like, ew, that guy's gross. So this is one reason, like, while you're dating, you might not want to be on the pill other than that little breast cancer thing. But anyway, we, we don't have to go down that path. <laughs> well, well, I do want to go down the path. Okay. Can we do a tangent on testosterone? Because uh, yeah, yeah, let's do testosterone. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. You know, I and I love this point you made. You know, we're always trying to figure out, okay, what is it with mating in captivity? Why is it that sex becomes less interesting for so many of us after you've been married for a while? So did, I love it. Did you just it. equate marriage with captivity? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Marriage no, and Captivity. It's a book by Esther Perel. But okay. so the so this, you know, finding these reasons like pheromones. I I don't know any women who didn't go on the birth control pill. I mean, maybe there's a few here in Berkeley, but yeah. you know, most of us did not escape. And I wanted to say, you know, there's a there's a great way to think about your testosterone receptor. I'm hoping we can talk about molecular sex here for a moment because right. really when it comes to hormones, it all comes down to molecular sex. Are you having good sex or bad sex? And the sex, of course, is between the hormone and the receptor. So with testosterone, 
when you go on the birth control pill, it's not just this problem with the pheromones and the increased risk of breast cancer. It's also that it reduces your free testosterone dramatically. So I flippantly said it can shrink your clitoris up to 20%. But even more concerning to me is that 20 to 25% of women on the pill have vaginal dryness. And they're all of you know, 22, 25 years old. And they're like, why do I have this dry vagina? And they're not asking their doctors about it because they're embarrassed. And then they don't want to have sex because it hurts. And the problem there, if you look at the receptors, is that some of us have what Andrew Goldstein, I love his analogy here, we have the Prius receptor. We have like the super efficient androgen <laughs> receptor where we can go really far on a, a low tank of testosterone gas. And then the rest of us have the Hummer receptor for androgens. <laughs> and you know, when testosterone, when your testosterone's low, you just can't go very far. And so you have vaginal dryness, maybe even pain. I feel like the birth control pill is the largest endocrinopathy that we are imposing on women in the world. I feel like I'm getting on the soapbox. So that's well, it, my little thing on testosterone. It, it's really important that you say that. We, we did the same thing in the Better Baby book. We're like, look, the pill is not good for women. It is bad for all these different reasons. And if you want to have children later, it's not in your best interest to do this. I know it's convenient. Like we're fans of, you know, women's liberation <laughs> and, you know, rights of women. Uh, that said, denying your biology isn't going to make you live a long time and is going to make you have a healthier family or have a healthier sex life. But so I'm going to give you a fist bump for that right, one. Fist bump I, it I, is. There we go. Now, there, there's two other things though you said though, um, around testosterone and vaginal dryness. Okay, guys, you can hack your partner's vagina. Did you pick this up? Okay. <laughs> See, the use of hack in the same sentence <laughs> I knew that as would vagina. Bother you. <laughs> But seriously, okay, you can modify your your <laughs> vaginal receptors. No, 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 that is even worse. So here's here's the deal: by encouraging healthy behaviors, you can basically improve the health and quality of your partner. See, this is all just too medical for me. But here's the deal: you can improve your sex life by improving your partner's health. Now, there's another thing. I don't know if you've ever tried this. I'm guessing probably. Have you ever tried topical application of very low doses of testosterone directly to the clitoris? Oh, hell yes. In fact, I <laughs> this have... is like the unknown biohack and it's amazing. <laughs> I have my vulva right here. Hold on. <laughs> okay. You all want to turn on your video now. <laughs> oh my God. You have to see this on iTunes or on YouTube. Okay. You're holding a giant vagina. Okay. It's Pump a velvet it. vulva. It's not <laughs> my vulva. It's a vulva of color. And there's the clitoris. So yes, <laughs> you know, a lot of women think, especially in perimenopause, when they start to get dry, they think they need to start frosting themselves with estrogen. But it turns out your androgens are way more important. So mm -hmm. you are right. The testosterone, you got to be careful. You don't want to have clitoromegaly where you start to grow a penis. Yeah. But yeah, putting it on, especially where you have the androgen receptors on the clitoris. Can you see that, Dave? Oh, the totally. labia minora. It's a and great right, big clitoris. <laughs> it's a great, you can't miss it. And there's the G-spot. See the ruffly pink stuff? Don't forget the G-spot. And then right here, the opening, the introitus, that's where you have a ton of androgen receptors kind of based on embryology. So that's where you got to put it. You don't want to. Um, and DHEA, there's some new interesting data on DHEA. Yes. Ah. And that, that it helps the full thickness of the vagina, not just the surface like estrogen does. So, oh my gosh, so many 
you know, clinical pearls today. They're just like dripping out of us today. I, <laughs> you and your Induendos, good God. <laughs> so uh, you are the first in more than 100 shows, the first person to actively show a vagina on the air. So um, congratulations, Sarah Gottfried. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to have that position. What is interesting is that if you take a low-dose testosterone cream, a very tiny amount of it, and you apply it topically, you get a very sudden effect, mm. right? Are you familiar with that effect? I want you to say more. Of course, I want to see uh, the data, but you okay. know, the, I, I think the, it, it, this what, is actually where we're going. Mm -hmm. I think you're talking about where we're going, where we're talking about like very small doses of bioidentical hormones and yeah how to use them strategically. So I, I wanted to call that well, out, but please this would, this would be more along the lines of female Viagra. You take uh, of, like basically the stuff that, you, that I use um, as a, you know, it's a 5% uh, in a, a cream base. Uh, and you take, I mean, a vanishingly small amount, like you know, if, if I applied it on, um, on my armpit, uh, normally what would be left on my finger is enough. And you swipe it over the labia and the uh, clitoris and within five minutes, you get amazing amounts of blood flow, huge amounts of blood flow, uh, like nothing you've ever seen. And it's repeatable and it completely changes like the whole like sexual response. And it's different than raising testosterone in the body, say through supplementation or diet or exercise, or even applying it, you know, on an armpit where you use armpits because it absorbs well there. But if you put it on a woman there, sex drive goes up. But if you put it topically on the vagina, immediate you know, a reckless abandoned desire for sex goes up a lot more. So you can use less testosterone and get a bigger benefit. So guys, you shouldn't do this without her permission, but it is an amazing result. Well, I have to be, I have to be a little bit careful about medical advice when it comes to testosterone, especially mm -hmm. your testosterone being applied to a female. So you got to be cautious about that, you know, work mm -hmm. with your physician. Of course, and, you, you can't know, get I'm it without of, a physician. And I'm thinking of, you know, one third of the U.S. public the females have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so we have to be a little bit careful about testosterone balance, but I appreciate yeah. the point that you're making. I think most of us are in short supply of testosterone in our lady garden. Yeah, and I'm not saying do it every day for God's sake, especially, and I'm just saying that this is a, a relatively unknown effect of testosterone in that region. And uh, especially if a woman is deficient, that might be a great way, a great way to apply it. Um, there, I said that as politely as I could. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Dave. It was. It's kind of like you talking about coffee. So I, I was talking about progesterone in the brain. Yeah. Honestly, it's a little hard to like follow the testosterone clitoris conversation with with uh, progesterone on the brain. But you know, we give progesterone now to people who have had traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Women need it. Like it really mm -hmm. helps us. Men need it too, and you need it to have this really good dance with your estrogen. So yeah. Um, even so just, in, in pregnancy, like there's the progesterone baby studies that we covered in the Better Baby book, where we look at intelligence of kids who had extra progesterone in the womb. And the studies, there's been some questions about them because they're done in the 60s, but the studies were kind of amazing in, in the effects that, that came out. So it's not just for women. It's not even just for women and men. It's for like babies too. Anyway, go ahead. Totally. Yeah. And there's all these new studies, not from the 1960s, showing that it reduces preterm labor. In fact, there was a study I just looked at about a month ago showing that women who have the lowest progesterone levels, we know that they have a higher rate of miscarriage, they have a higher rate of other problems in their pregnancy, and now we know that they have a higher rate of preterm labor. So progesterone is really important. I'm not saying, you know, start frosting yourself in progesterone cream, but we want to 
you know, that should be one of the items on your dashboard is you're managing your cortisol, your estrogen, your growth hormone, your thyroid, your uh, testosterone. That is that's so cool. And to do this, you should work with a doctor. You can get your numbers and bring them to your doctor if you want using like a wellness FX panel. But your doctor probably works with a specific lab and is familiar with the way they do their numbers and how they do their own quality control. So it's best if you're going to work with a doctor to go to the doctor and say, I'm interested in optimizing these levels help. And you want to make sure the doctor gets it, which means what IFM, what, what other things should people look for in a doctor since you're not practicing, uh, Dr. Sarah? Yeah, well, I work with people online. So okay, you can you, you can check me out at sarahgottfreedmd.com. Oh, I didn't and... know you were still doing that. That's okay. We'll, we'll definitely we'll put links to that and everything. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I work with folks online. I also have been training practitioners. So yes, you could go to functionalmedicine.org, go see a functional medicine practitioner. I'm joining the faculty at IFM, the Institute for Functional Medicine, so I'm a big fan. Um, I recommend in my book that you check out some of the scripts that I have for checking out doctors and sort of seeing if they are collaborative, if they're going to partner with you the way that you deserve. I also think that it's important to realize that, you know, there's there's this problem with mainstream medicine. I, I think you've noticed this, Dave, where many folks just are it's as if they don't think that adrenal dysregulation exists or yeah. they, you know, they think that there's something wrong with people getting empowered and testing their own labs and, you know, taking ownership of their health. They don't want, you know, the patriarchal system doesn't want for us to step into our power fully. So there's some folks who are, you know, resistant to this and you want to not see those people. Exactly. And I, I want to be conscious of your calendar and your schedule here. We have one more question that I've asked every guest that I'm hoping that you can, uh, you have time to run through. And that is your top three recommendations for people, men or women who want to kick more ass. Mm, okay. I love this. I love this. So I'm going to give you, you know, what is top of the heap for me right now? Cause I'm mm. always taking on new stuff. Number one, chi running. Oh my gosh. I am so into chi running. It's like backdoor spirituality. I always love these ways of Finding your secret sauce, which is really, you know, being able to rebalance your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight, rest and digest. So chi running, totally love it. What, totally what is love it. chi running? So chi running is where you basically combine chi gong and kind of these principles of retraining the mind mm -hmm. with running. Oh, okay. So it's kind and of like a walking meditation, but you're running. Kind of, yeah. Okay. You're engaging your Dantian. Next time I see you, Dave, we'll go chi running, okay? All right. I'm excited. I'm going to get my Dantian all, all warmed up. <laughs> so number two, I'm totally grooving on my morning bulletproof coffee. And guys, Dave hasn't paid me to say this. Like, he makes me pay retail for all of my coffee and everything. So, you know, there's there's like no bias here. So I am loving my bulletproof coffee with my MCT oil and my Thank collagen you. in the morning. I just think it's totally cool. I need to study it more. I'm collecting the data more on that later. And then number three, I'm going to have to say oxytocin. So I feel like oxytocin, we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding about how oxytocin is involved in connection. I mean, it's really the best hormone therapy out there. Oxytocin, it lowers your cortisol. It raises your estradiol. It helps you make your thyroid work, work more efficiently. So I love oxytocin. As, There's so many a, ways to get it. As a drug or orgasms or like what, what's your top way to get it? Well, I do have the vulva here. So definitely female <laughs> orgasm. You Stop know. waving your vagina on camera. 
Sorry, I've always wanted to say that on a podcast. <laughs> we might have to, we might have to like, you know, say this is for mature audiences only. I think it's okay. This is educational. They're yeah. going to be playing this in, in your daughter's class. <laughs> well, I did bring this to the eighth grade class. They loved it. Good for you. I love that too. But you can also hug, right? Like you yeah. can keep your pants on and, you know, eight hugs a day is what Paul Zach says based on the half-life of oxytocin. You need eight yeah. hugs a day. All right. So more hugging. I can do that. Dr. Sarah Godfrey, give us your URL, give us the title of your book where people can order it and, and things like that so they can find you. We'll put all these links in the show notes, but just make sure people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So the book is The Hormone Cure, and you can find it at thehormonecurebook.com. That's the best place to go. We've got a free offer right now where you get this 39-page special report on how to rebalance mm -hmm. your hormones in eight steps. Awesome. Thanks again, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, for being on Bulletproof Executive Radio, the number one ranked health podcast on iTunes right now. Woohoo! Woo. Talk to you again soon, and we'll go chi running. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. One of the things you can do to make your brain work really, really well is you can remove toxins from your body. One of the most important antioxidants and toxin-binding substances in the body is called glutathione. Glutathione has been available as a nutritional supplement for a long time. The only problem is that when you take it, it gets broken down in the stomach and you don't get the benefits of it. So about 10 years ago, we started making something called liposomal glutathione, which allows this precious molecule to pass through the lining of the gut, and it works. The only problem is that you have to have very, very small liposomes for it to work, and there's varying results from using different liposomal forms. That's why I created Upgraded Glutathione Force. This is a radical innovation in the glutathione world, small as it may be, because we use a patented technology that binds another molecule onto a liposome. So it's liposomal, but it absorbs in studies using this form of molecule up to eight times better than normal liposomes that don't contain the added boost. That's why it's called glutathione force, because it literally forces the glutathione past your gut and into your blood where it can do the most benefit. If you look at the comments on the forums or on the product page, you'll find that a lot of people use it because it makes their brain feel crisper and clearer, not to mention the other benefits to your immunity and other systems in the body, which always run better when your liver is able to detoxify substances really well. And that's not even talking about what it can do to help you reduce the impacts of drinking too much alcohol. You'll feel better the next morning if your glutathione levels are high enough before and after you drink. Check it out. Upgraded Glutathione Force on UpgradedSelf.com. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider.
This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.